Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 1, Episode 12, Faith. And this week, we're joined by a special guest, our producer, Rochelle Castellano. Let's get this show on the road. As our listeners already know, Rochelle is our producer here at Carrying Wayward. And she's the reason why you get nicely packaged, consistent episodes and not hour-long rants of me mumbling and silly inside jokes and, well, <laughs> the stuff we'll save for a blooper reel eventually. I mean, she's basically the one who makes us sound good. Show before, we didn't really take the time to introduce you, so Mary, would you like to do the honors? Of course. Well, Rochelle is a creative who loves finding new and exciting ways to engage people. She's driven by stories and the emotional impact that they have on us as individuals and as a community. She believes narrative is key to connecting on a deeper, more meaningful level and creating positive and enduring change. Combining a creative arts background with 10 years of experience in both the private industry and higher education, her day job is thinking of creative solutions for everyday business problems. Currently, she works to strengthen alumni and donor engagement with the goal of providing future generations with the support and opportunities they need to learn, grow, and thrive. Isn't she just freaking established and, like, amazing? <laughs> That makes me sound so much better than I actually am. <laughs> well, Rochelle, we're super happy to have you here for this episode because you're going to be able to keep us on track because it's such a huge episode. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm happy to be back. <laughs> I'm hoping I could, I could beat a task tonight. <laughs> so, Drew, uh, why don't you get us started with a recap? Oh, that's going to be a tough one for this one. Let me set you up with a three-minute recap for today. Three, two, one, go. Cold open, the boys fighting some weird demon thing in a basement. Demon thing, creature thing, whatever. Uh, they save some kids who are locked away. Uh, Sam gets them out. Dean goes to fire a taser at it. Clearly, someone didn't study their Pokemon effectiveness charts, and electricity plus water equals someone gets shocked real bad. A doctor uh, mistakenly says he was electrocuted, which he wasn't because he survived. But it looks like... Dean's not gonna make it, guys. Oh no, what are we gonna do for the next 15 and a half seasons? Um, Sam does not want to give up on this, looks into every contact that his father has, eventually finds us a faith healer, which Dean is super not cool with, even after it does work and does save Dean's life. But he thinks something's sketchy, sees a weird man in a suit, mm, something's not right. They start diving a little deeper, they do the research, figure out that somehow this faith healer is using death itself to save people and kill others in their place, which really leaves a sour taste in Dean's mouth. That's a whole other thing we're going to get into. Um, they eventually figure out it's not the preacher, but the preacher's wife who also used this death reaper to save him when he had cancer, and now she's using it to take out people she sees as being unclean or unholy. And that includes Dean, which is a whole other bucket of worms. But they stop her and death is all like, mm, vengeance time. That's it? Okay, well then you could have easily done this in two minutes. What is this? You have a minute and 32 seconds left. There's just a couple of things that I'd like to point out as part of the long game. And the first thing is that we meet Reapers for the first time. Reapers are angels of death. 
Another little thing that I absolutely had to mention is that when Roy goes to heal Dean, he actually grabs his left shoulder with his right hand. And so that's just a visual that is very important in future seasons. So I'd just like us to keep that in mind. Yeah, I love those kind of things because now there's that point of me that's like, was this intentionally set up now for the future? Or is it something that kind of evolved because of this moment? Like how much forethought went into this? You can never tell what's supernatural. That is the correct (laughs) answer. (laughs) And then the last thing that I'll mention here is that the brothers for the first time are facing consequences of saving each other's lives. A lot to cover. Shall we jump right into story time? Because I know there is a lot to discuss. I approve. Let's get started with the theme of this episode. The cool thing is that it's pretty in your face, right? I mean, the title of the episode is Faith. I think we can all agree that one lens that we can look at this episode through is the lens of faith. So if we look a little bit at the idea of like destiny versus free will, we see that at the beginning, Dean tells Sam that he's okay with dying. And then Sam really keeps pushing and looking for a way out. But the moment that, you know, Dean Winchester is saved, Dean knows something's off. And he knows that it was wrong to have Marshall die to save his life. But when he realizes that Layla is about to die, he feels like it's unjust. I feel, I I don't know how you guys felt about this, but I think that this changes him and it changes the way he approaches the question of destiny and free will. First thing I noticed, and every time the subject came up of like who gets to choose who lives and dies, which is a very common repeated statement throughout this episode. I feel like there's a few times that Sam says it and Dean gives him a look of like you hypocrite because though you can't assume Sam knew this, I I will guarantee Sam didn't know the sacrifice that he was secretly making to save his brother. Dean, I think blames Sam a little bit. So when Sam is there like, oh, we can't let someone die to, you know, save someone else, even if, you know, we think they're better. And Dean is just like, you literally did this not 24 hours ago, you hypocritical, what the hell? And it just, I think, paints such an interesting image of the two of them in just the way that Dean feels this weight of what was taken more than like Sam almost doesn't regard it. He's like, yeah, yeah, this person died. Clearly it's so you could live, but that's not our fault. Clean slate. I feel no guilt. And Dean is just like, I mean, as we're going to get to it eventually, I think Dean was very okay with dying this episode. If it meant Layla got to live. This is the, this is a moment where he starts feeling guilty for this borrowed time. Right. And he's angry that somebody else had to die to save him. And I think that, that's in some ways like part of the origin stories of Dean Winchester. This dynamic of, uh, you know, Sam sort of feeling or uh, portraying no remorse. We had to do it because there was a goal, like it was for a reason and Sam and Dean warring against that and feeling that guilt. This this is this is the beginning. This is a huge setup for basically what is going to color like 15 years of story. So it's really fascinating to sort of see that in its first iteration in this episode. I have a question for you guys. Can you have faith if you don't believe in some way shape or form in destiny? 
I think so. I can't tell you why, but I think so. So I'm going to let Drew riff on that for a little bit. Yeah, I'm just trying to put it into words because I'm thinking of... I'll put myself in the hot seat. I am not a big believer in a lot of classic spiritual religious senses. I, you know, agnostic gets me the best term for it. So I don't believe in those kind of like the the classic, like I have faith in a God or that kind of faith, but I do have faith in people and humanity and nature, but I don't believe we are destined in any way. I feel like we have free will, but I have faith in people's free will. I just think fate and faith are two different things. And so you can have faith. You can believe in something. You can have faith. But you don't necessarily have to believe in faith. <laughs> no, no, I can't say the words. <laughs> this is just uh, this is going to be the worst episode for me because Ash is like, you cannot pronounce these words ever. But anyways, <laughs> I think that you can have faith in something, but not necessarily believe in faith. Did I say that properly? <laughs> yes, which I that you can believe in things. Like I can believe that the world will recover from the situations it is currently in. I believe there is an innate goodness in humankind, even if a lot of the people who are in power don't show it. But the reason I have that faith in people is because they have the free will to make their own fate. So what you're describing, do you feel like it accurately describes faith? Or do you feel like perhaps you're, you're describing trust? I've never tried to draw a line between trust and faith. And I'm not sure where I would begin to draw that line between either of them. They're two separate things. I think, you know, the idea that faith comes from within is really, I think, what makes the nuance for me between trust and faith. I actually completely agree with you. For me, the difference between faith and trust, because I've been frantically asking people this question for the past few weeks, knowing that we have this episode coming. And the, the answer that I got that really hit me was the fact that trust is something that you build over time with someone. It's, it's, an, it's an action. It takes two people or two entities to be able to build trust, whereas faith comes from within you. So even if you don't have proof that things will work out, quote unquote, you still have that faith and faith to a certain degree is blind, in my opinion. So now that we talked, you know, about blind faith and faith originating from within, like that quote from Dean, I've been hunting long enough to trust a feeling like this. Is he really talking about trust or faith? I think he blankets it as trust because he doesn't want to admit that he has faith in his abilities because that's egotistical in a sense to him or he feels it would be egotistical and as much as Dean likes to be right and does have a bit of an ego he also doesn't want to overdo his pride I would even argue that it's not egotistical I think just he's painted himself as someone who doesn't believe mm -hmm. he doesn't have faith mm. in things so for him he wouldn't even use that word. Yeah. It, and, you know, just in general, like if you're thinking of like the word that someone would use in something is I trust mm -hmm. a feeling. Yeah. Um, you know, so for him, that's probably just regular parlance, but he's, he would, I don't even think he would, he would be entertaining the word faith because mm -hmm. it's just so not something that he believes in mm -hmm. or believes that he could even 
access. Agreed. <laughs> now let's talk about Roy as a healer. You know, the, the, there was this interesting little callback to you know dead in the water, our dead in the water conversation about healing and curing. Um, and this again suggests that to be healed is to be cured, which we had issues with back then, and we're probably going to have some issues with now. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to ask you, what do you make of Roy's blindness? I didn't even bring it up. Like I know he's blind, but it never really. There was just so much to think about in this episode. It kind of just really like flew by. I think it's a pretty on the nose visual representation of this whole idea that he's fully, fully succumbed to his belief and his faith in in the higher power that he believes in. That he he kind of can easily or like disregard everything that's happening around him. His, his focus, you know, is on just one thing and one thing only. Yeah. And there's like a certain vulnerability, right, to blindness where you have to have faith to a certain degree that people around you aren't out there to harm you. It also, yeah, so something else on that subject, just thinking about what Rochelle said, it, it is very on the nose. It is a, you know, taking away his ability to see the world and instead see with his faith and you know, see into people's hearts and, mm -hmm. you know, like the way he sees, like, again, he picks out Dean in that crowd. Yes. Dean made a crack comment, but he still chose Dean and believed that Dean was mm -hmm. the person worth saving. There's no, you know, yes, we find out later that his wife is the one picking who dies, but he's still picking who to save. There's a part of him that lets him mm -hmm. see the truth. And I just sort of feel like, we're dabbling in a weird connection I want to make, but I feel like I need to say it in the sometimes letting go of your senses and fully accepting your belief and your faith and your heart mm. is the right answer. Like if you were piloting an X-Wing and trying to blow up a Death Star, you have to believe in the force and not what your eyes see. I love that. What you're bringing up here with regards to faith is something that is really quite present in some religions where the idea of having faith is a synonym to surrendering oneself to the higher power. And mm. so I, I think that you're, you're quite right when you're talking about that, True, Shall we talk about Sam a little bit? <laughs> He's in this episode, too. Yeah, he's in this too. episode, too. He's actually... Yeah, that, that guy. That little bean! <laughs> I love baby Sam. Bean. I love baby Sam so much. We had Dean call his dad a couple of episodes ago, and this time it's Sam's turn to call his dad when he's alone and just leave a message as if he's praying to him. Kind of where I went right away when I saw him take the phone, I was like, oh, we're now going to get this, like, counterpoint to, like, how does Sam call John? Yeah. And it just seemed very cold. Ooh. It, like, I don't want to say it sounded threatening, but it was kind of one of those, like, I'm giving you this heads up because I know you might hear this message and I don't think you want to be the person who wasn't there by your son's mm -hmm. deathbed. Like, I think you would regret that. Mm -hmm. And I'm giving you the chance now to come. There's no asking for help. He does turn to John for help in the book, but he doesn't ask John for help on the phone. He doesn't say you should be here. He doesn't say, where are you? He just says, your son has been pronounced soon to be dead. I thought you should know. Click. It is chilling almost calculating one might say what do you have to say about this Rochelle 
this is it is so Sam and they once again do a great job at juxtaposing it against Dean mm-hmm. you know Dean's clear emotional mm-hmm. uh, reaction to when he's calling uh, John and then like Sam's like pragmatism mm-hmm. basically and these are just things that we saw like you know when we talked about Fra- Phantom Traveler or when we talked about any of the other ones home you can always see this kind of dynamic just pop back up so to me this is it's just so classic so we're we're getting into an interesting territory here because earlier on Drew mentioned you know that Sam didn't really feel or didn't really exhibit at least much remorse about what had happened. And you're talking about his mm-hmm. pragmatism. So when he says the line, can't we just be thankful the guy saved your life? Who do you think he's talking about? Is he talking about Roy or Marshall? Oh, Marshall, 100%. That was my immediate thought. I didn't think of that. But yeah, that's a a weirdly dark thought. But I think because it's not clear. Yeah, it reads both exactly. ways. Exactly, yeah. it's not clear when you watch the scene. But the scene, fact that it's not clear, oh, yes. it's like, oh, that's like an like I don't feel well. My tummy hurts hearing that. Oh, Sam, no, no, because I believe that Sam, at least my opinion is that Sam knows that the priest is a conduit, mm. uh, or like, is there's an assumption there that 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 you know the the priest was what it was, but. When you think about the trade, basically, mm-hmm. I think Sam is just saying, like, we just can't we just be happy with the trade? Like, you're here. Well, that's it. Like, let's move on. So there you go. I mean, this brings us to my next question. Like, so Sam, he apologizes to Dean. He's like, I'm sorry. But what is he really apologizing for? Is he apologizing for saving his life? For the way it unfolded? What is it? I mean, if we go off that same reading and I now have questions regarding how much was written in the book that he did not tell Dean that may have led him to believe more than what he should have been letting on. Oh, that's an uncomfortable thought, but I think he's apologizing for not telling him, mm-hmm. for not being fully honest with him, for not investigating before just committing to it. I think he's apologizing for not caring. Ooh. <laughs> Whoa, Rochelle. Is Sam the villain this episode? Do you guys... Sam's very complex. Do you guys think that he regrets his actions? I don't think he does. I don't think he does. I really don't think he does. And I think that this is this is what's so fascinating about Sam, is that he has this this clear duality, and they, they're just starting to show mm-hmm. it now at this point in the season. I entirely agree with you guys. I mean, I really think that Sam is not sorry for what he did. I think he knows that the the effect that it's going to have on Dean, and I think that's what he feels sorry about. I'd like to talk about Layla a little bit. I was really surprised to hear a name like Layla in an episode like this, where, you know, this is, this is I guess, not a name that I would have expected in an episode where other names are like Roy and Sue Ann and Marshall, Layla just felt a little out, out of place. So I looked up the etymology and what it means and what it's associated with. Um, so if we look at the etymology, it actually means night. And I looked it up and it looks like in some interpretations of the Talmud, which is a sacred Jewish text, Layla was an angel. And not only is she an angel, but she's an angel who chooses a soul from the Garden of Eden and commands it to enter the embryo. 
She then serves as a guardian angel for that person throughout their life, and at death, she leads the soul into the afterlife. If you're looking just at the story, knowing that, you know, the, 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 the writers didn't have in mind to bring in angels into this story, you know, let's put a pin in that and let's just look at the story as we know it unfolds. I think that Layla is actually foreshadowing for Castiel. She's the first character that we've met so far who has actually brought Dean to consider the possibility of a higher power and to surrender to it through prayer. And longtime fans will know what prayer will come to mean for Dean. Oh, I'm so intrigued. <laughs> she is actually the first person for that we know of that he prays for. I feel like that entire ending moment they got kind of that like you know sam clearly invited her over and runs away for a soda which like and like very clearly we have a very nice interaction between the two of them it's it's pure it's nice it's wholesome and it just sort of leaves you seeing dean in a very different light for a moment like we, we keep getting glimpses of like the real dean the crying on the phone the being a little more panicked in some situations, just the way he worries, the way he responds in like a crisis. But here we have him very calm, very cool, very collected, and just really having a heart to heart with another human who isn't a mute child. It feels a lot like um, Dean at the end of the episode has gone through a transformation. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, the sort of things like I've seen some shit. And like, I feel, (laughs) I feel like Dean in that conversation with Layla at the end, absolutely has that moment. And I think it's also him coming to terms with this idea of like, you know, where's, where's the, I don't know how to say it, but like why her and not Mm. like, why me and not Mm. her, you know, he's like, where's the justice, where's the justice in this. And I think he's starting to come and Mm -hmm. warring with that. And I, and I really do like that interpretation, Mary of, you know, particularly because you say, where does, you know, where does he put his, his hand yes. on Dean's yeah. shoulder? And then, and then Layla being this, you know, this sort of like guardian angel. It's so, it's so in this, once again, to bring it back to, you never know what's supernatural. It's so hard to look at the story at this moment and then not go back later. And we'll get there later because we're not getting too ahead of ourselves and not see these connections. I will come in and say that again, my limited knowledge of the series beyond what we've seen already. I do know that angels do come into the show. You've made that clear. And I know I've seen an episode or two where they do first show up. And I do know that Dean is very closely connected to the angels and heaven. So an episode like this, really like I already kind of went into it trying not to but knowing there was a connection between a a holier heavenlier faith-filled side of the world and Dean even if he didn't know it yet so knowing knowing there is more to this episode that I have yet to been made privy to given things that will come I'm very excited to get there because I do want to look back at these moments, even if they were just building blocks that were laid down, not with the intent of becoming something, but to look at where they started, whether it was intentional or not, and what they've become. This is what's so fascinating, right? Because 
you might, you know, the writers at this point might not have had the intent of what was going to happen in season four and beyond. But you, given that they eventually get to season four, there was groundwork laid early. And Mm -hmm. even though their intention was not there, there was some spark and some creative idea that was blossoming that led them down to the road that they eventually got to. So it's very easy then to go back and look and draw those connections because, you know, you have, you've created a story, you've created these characters and they've kind they, they are bigger than the story that the, that the authors are trying to, to tell. So they kind of take on a life of their own and they do, you can't control them. Um, and the direction that they kind of start to bring you in leads always to some point that is easy to reference back to later. Oh my God, Rochelle. I mean, I am fully weeping right now, just so that everyone is aware. I think it's just so important what you're saying right now about characters having their making their own choices and being bigger than the story, especially when we're talking here about angels and about, you know, foreshadowing to Castiel. There is something that you said, Rochelle, about wondering, about Dean wondering why her and not me or why me and not her. And this is where this episode here is sort of where the narrative of Dean as the chosen one starts emerging, right? He's chosen by Roy. Um, he's the one who gets healed and, and so, and so on and so forth. And Dean's first reaction to being picked is maybe you should pick someone else. And again, that is just such a direct foreshadowing to something that happens later, or at least like another sentence that is said, you know, that, that quote, you don't think you deserve to be saved. There's a level of Dean that is just sort of, I don't want to I never want to say like he's given up and he's looking for a way out. But I think when something I was going to say naturally as unnatural as the scenario is basically says to the, the universe is saying, Hey, you're at the end of your road. I think he is accepting it because he's tired and he's ready to let things move their course. Like as long as he is standing, he is going to fight for John and fight for what's right and be a hero and save the day. But when the world says, Hey, it's over, buddy, you can close your eyes. It's done. He's accepting of it. He is not a, he literally is not afraid of death. He is almost, you know, happily embracing it when it's his time and i think that's an interesting point too the fact that they you almost and i'll be i'll be honest even i almost forgot that you know roy seems like a puppet in this episode he's really just the 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 face of this thing he isn't magical in any way shape or form that they make it outright clear but there's clearly this connection to him and whatever version of god the show brings to us whatever version of heaven there is because he does pick Dean out. He does choose to save Dean almost immediately. Yes, like I said, there was, he, he cracks a joke and that's how they get the conversation going. But he could have just made the joke and said his line and then continued his sermon and picked someone else. But he chose Dean. He really, truly had faith that Dean was the person to save. I think this show, has, this uh, particular episode has a lot of those, you know, archetypes like Roy is a conduit, right? A conduit for a spiritual being. In this case, it's God. Yeah. And that's like a tale as old as time in, in stories like this. And like Mary, you were saying, Dean, as the chosen one, you know, there's the main characters of your story are the chosen ones. There's always something 
about them that's different that's that's you know above and beyond your regular mm -hmm. person or character because that's what that's what keeps keeps you going right as a viewer reader and they sh they start to show these different mm -hmm. narrative uh, devices i should say i guess in this episode are we ready to talk about queer dean so I'm going to lay out a couple of uh, of things here for you guys, and then we're going to be able to discuss them and see if maybe I'm just reading too much into things. When we start off the episode, there's a rawhead who, is, who has kidnapped some children. Now, I guess we were going to be talking about that a little bit, at least in critical time, but rawheads basically attack naughty children. So those are stories that he would have heard from John. You know, be careful, don't be, don't be bad, because the rawhead is going to come for you. Then... You know, the children are actually hiding in the closet. Then there's, you know, an electrocution, which triggers a heart attack, leaving his heart damaged. Then Roy talks about, you know, how God rewards the good and punishes the corrupt, which is an important here uh, with regards to Dean, particularly in an episode where we're foreshadowing Castiel. And Roy also says that the Lord helps him see into people's hearts. So what does he see into Dean's heart that, is, that was when he saw him broken and damaged? A couple other things. The doctor, the second doctor that he sees says, you know, there's nothing wrong with your heart and there is no sign that there ever was. And I think that that's just a beautiful... Anyway, we'll talk about what we think that means, but I think that that is a beautiful thing to say, uh, that he was never damaged. He was never... There was nothing wrong with him. He just had to accept himself. Um, and Dean doesn't actually believe her. What do we think? What are our thoughts here about these things? So up until this point, that is a lot of very interesting things. Like a lot of them are those little things where it's like, as I'm reading along with you talking them out, I'm just like, oh my God, that's so obvious. I think the biggest one though, you're kind of the comment about the heart and seeing, like you said, this is literally an example of, you know, Roy says, I, I see in your heart good, uh, he he basically is saying that who you are on the inside, the thing that you truly are, is okay. And then the next scene, though, it is very clinically designed in verbiage. Your heart is fine. Looks like there was never anything wrong with it. I think on that same spiritual level, it's just reaffirming to Dean that who you are on the inside and everything you've been hiding about yourself is not something to hide. Your heart is fine. So I think from the queer angle of it, it really is just a very loving way to say that, like, you should you, you are spiritually and emotionally accepted for who you are. An identity affirming message. Yeah, I think that that's, it's a pretty, like, obvious interpretation, right? When you're, like, looking at it from this lens. It's really, it's really quite, mm -hmm. quite clear, you know, this idea that someone uh, perceives themselves as damaged because they're other and then they're, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they aren't, the reality mm -hmm. is, is that they aren't, they aren't damaged. They aren't other, they are just whole and fully okay as themselves. And so it's like, a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, like everybody who has kind of been othered or feels othered or is part of the community has has struggled with that or has experienced that that situation right as they've come to terms with themselves so yeah I think it's it's pretty it's pretty on the nose mm -hmm. but in a, in a good way I think mm -hmm. in the end it's it's 
I think I would hope a a Mm -hmm. more positive message for Dean. There's uh, a little Easter egg here that I wanted to discuss with you guys. And again, I'm not, I can't, I can never be sure if this was put in there intentionally or not, but the time at which Dean was saved and Marshall died is 417. Yeah. As soon as they said 417, I was like, if they don't immediately bring up, oh, 417 in the Bible is blank and relates to this scenario, then it's an Easter egg. So I'm very excited that they did not bring it up. So you can now explain to me why or what your theory is on it. Well, the thing is that there's a lot of 417s out there. So I looked at a bunch of them. I look at James 417, Matthew 417, Numbers 417, and a lot of others. But then I paused to myself and I thought, hold on, let's try to make it supernatural centric. Let's try John 417. And let me read this out to you. This is from the King James Bible. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, the meaning of this, because I read a few translations and interpretations, is that we are all godlike during our time on earth. So we have nothing to fear on judgment day, no matter who we are. God loves us all the same, and we are made perfect by his love. Wouldn't you just love if that's how it all went down? (laughs) Always. (laughs) I feel like I would love it if Supernatural had kept this, well, this identity-affirming message that they've had in this episode so far. This is one of the saddest things about Supernatural, right, in this case, is that you have these identity-affirming messages and you have Mm. this idea of we are all made perfect by his love and God loves us all the same. And this is this is the belief, this is the universal belief that that everybody promotes in Christianity, right? Is that Mm -hmm. love thy neighbor, Mm -hmm. love everyone equally. Mm -hmm. And then it does not translate to reality. And I know it sounds really depressing and sad and it's like, it's, you know, you hope to be uplifting and then you're like, oh, we're talking about the realities of what it's like to, to like be queer, you know, and you're like not accepted and especially not by religion. And do you even have a place with religion as a queer person? Mm. And I just think that this is, this is a really, really complex issue. We can have probably a 17 hour podcast alone on just this and we would still not even have scratched the the, the topic, you know, or the, the mm-hmm. tip of the iceberg. For sure. And the message is mm-hmm. so nice and universal and pure. Just everybody mm-hmm. is equal and, and the same. And just, just, it's just love. Love is love. You just hope mm-hmm. that for that with Dean, you know, you hope for that acceptance. You hope that for him, but you hope that he gives that to himself. There's still like one large elephant in the room here that we haven't discussed and that the man who died to heal Dean's heart was gay. So Dean's heart was healed by a gay man, a gay heart. It could not be more evident. Like, this feels like someone was doing this review of the show and got to this episode and goes like, you think we've dropped enough hints that Dean might be gay? We should probably put like a big one here just to really make sure people are following it because we've been too subtle up till now. Yeah. So keeping us on track, uh, let's move into critical time. Drew, do you want to get us started in critical time? If I may, I think this is a great example of folklores and myth because there are so many variations of the Grim Reaper across so many different cultures. And it is such a wildly varied tapestry of characters of this entity from uh, some cultures where it is both the guardian of the afterlife 
to the ferryman at the the cross at the uh, at the river Styx to just being a guide to spirits. All these different cultures and religions and backgrounds and ethnicities view death and the Grim Reaper as different. A lot of them tend to have some similarities, which is really the skeletal figure. Some cultures predating American mythology do depict the uh, robed skeleton. The scythe is a bit more of a modern take from Christianity mm-hmm. and has, like good folklore, spread to other cultures that have now adopted it as well. If I can just go off a few really quick fun facts I wanted to share about the Grim Reaper, because there is yeah, sure. there is just too many. There is just, like, literally, you could rabbit hole for hours, like I may have done, about the Grim Reaper and death as a whole. But some of my favorites, most Latin American countries... The Grim Reaper is a woman. Most of the rest of the world tends to be male. We do get some signs of Norse mythology. We do have uh, Hel, H-E-L, as the guardian of Hel, H-E-L again, which is the, you know, the bad place version of an afterlife. It is very atypical, what we would consider to be Hel, and she is the ruler of it and the Grim Reaper of it. Surprisingly, in Asia, it does seem to be very back and forth with male and female figures in the role of either a keeper of hell or a grim reaper, which is interesting. And the last one I will share is that in some legends in Scotland, the grim reaper is a dog. I mean, it's interesting because so reapers, like the lore that we're going to be fed through supernatural about reapers is going to evolve a little bit. And in the next season, we're going to find out a bit more about them. In in this one, I find that the depiction is is definitely negative, right? Like it sound, it looks like a very scary man, comically old, etc. Whereas like in future, in future depictions, they just look a lot more human. But I think that also kind of goes along with the folklore angle of the Grim Reaper is that it evolves mm-hmm. with story and telling. I like, I think Dean yeah. and Sam even converse about it in the episode of the, I saw what I thought was the Grim Reaper. And he goes, you mean like with the cloak and like the bones? And he's like, no, no, no. But I knew what it was Yeah, because yeah. it's just a legend. Like we're accepting this is a mm-hmm. Reaper or the Grim Reaper, whatever they realize at the time which we'll then get to later but like other creatures evolves with the time it learns to live in a modern era in a modern sense and i think that just goes along with the folklore angle of how much other cultures have evolved their depictions of the grim reaper and death based on popular culture of the you know classic black robes and scythe so drew you talked a little bit earlier about how this episode sort of hits us over the head with you know, mm-hmm. the idea that Dean is queer. And I would like to present another piece of evidence mm. for you to look at to see what you think. Eric Kripke is the author, like the creator of the supernatural world. And when he created the characters of Sam and Dean, he had very specific inspirations for them. We'll talk about Sam some other time, but if we talk about Dean, his inspiration for Dean actually comes from the novel On the Road by Jack Kerouac, and that was Dean Moriarty, who was also inspired by someone called Neil Cassidy in Kerouac's life. Now, the way that Dean Moriarty is depicted in On the Road 
is clearly as a bisexual character. And this is directly from Neil Cassidy's life. Like we know that he had a longstanding relationship with a man, that he was dating both men and women. And and this is documented in Jack Kerouac's notes. It's also documented in his novel, uh, where a lot of the plot points are actually taken directly from like his life on the road with Neil Cassidy and 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 another character. So I think that we can't forget the fact that Dean is actually, like his inspiration came from a bisexual character. And I think that we really have to take this into account when we're looking at Dean and doing a proper character analysis. No, I think it's very valid. And again, I I think it's what we touched on a while ago. And I think I is the only argument I've ever heard against the queer coding of Dean and the queer development of Dean is the, oh, you're just looking for reasons. But when you very clearly have a character who is based off of an existing character who in turn is based off an existing person, it's really hard to then say, oh yeah, they are based off them, except for this one detail that I don't like personally. Shall we move into our Crossroads deal? Yes. I have to start by saying that this was very hard because this is probably one of my favorite episodes in the entire series. I mean, visually, it is gorgeous. If I could, I would actually wish for more episodes like this one. (laughs) But I know that that's not the rule. So if I really have to make a change, I would wish that Dean had learned a little bit more about Marshall, who dies to save him. Um, Perhaps, you know, we could have him find out like how he lived his life and what made him special a little bit. Yeah, and if I have to give something up, I guess I would give up the moment where Sam breaks into Roy and Sue Ann's house uh, to find the old book because I feel like the episode could have still worked without it, you know, between the Coptic cross and everything. Like we could have, they could have figured it out without the book. I think we're kind of on a similar wavelength this week for our crossroads, you'll see. But yeah, I think... This is one of those cases where there's not enough attention given to the other victims. In this case, it's very much on the saving Dean, followed by the, oh no, what do we do about Layla? Do we let her get saved or not? And how do we deal with this? Like, she kind of becomes the victim of the week, and it's a matter of saving her, which is kind of weird because it's not saving her. It Yeah, mm. it's really backwards, but well, you know what I mean? She be, she becomes the focal No, but point. there's something to be said about saving her from her blind faith in being healed uh, or being cured or thinking that being cured mm-hmm. will heal her, right? For her, her path to healing was actually through accepting her own death. Which she does at the very end, partially thanks to Dean, which I think really just, again, goes to say a lot about her connection to Dean in that sense and how mm-hmm. Dean responds to her. Give up about the same thing as you. I would even go a little further and say I'd give up some of a little bit more of the discovery and let it become a little more like let the discovery really be Dean figuring out that it's the wife in that moment when um, he stops the uh, ritual and then maybe even just have Sam confronting her instead of the whole like locking in the basement and trying to destroy the shrine and realizing it's useless. Like it seems a lot of like set dressing we can live without when look at the story. I would have liked more of Sam figuring out what happened and trying to hide it from Dean. Ooh. I would have liked to have leaned into this angle where Sam doesn't want to admit to Dean that he's figuring out what's happened. That there's like this guilt to like, I let someone die to save my brother. 
Okay, so you want to move straight ahead to like season five, season four, right? Yeah. That's what you're telling I me. I guess so, but I just think I would have liked to. I don't want to say build a secret between them and have this festering thing. I think I ultimately would have wanted it resolved by the end of the episode, but I think I would have liked that initial like he figures out what it is and like doesn't tell him right away and. Dean then figures it out himself, mm. and Sam goes like, oh, that makes sense. I'm now putting this together for the first time and not several hours ago when I first figured it out without you. Shut up. Drew, you're going to get, you're going to, you're just, you're going to get so much of this in the next <laughs> seasons. Like, <laughs> you're going to be asking for less of it, but it's really cute that you're asking for more right now. <laughs> well, you know what they say. Careful what you wish for. Let's see what I get. Last but not least, Rochelle, what's your Crossroads deal? I... I wish that there had been more time with Layla as a character mm. and kind of just, I know this was a Dean centric episode, but I felt like they, I felt like I wanted to see more of the juxtaposition of, of Dean and Layla and conversations between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And what I would have given up actually is probably the melodrama of Layla's situation through her mother, because I felt like there was Julie Benz is incredible and she has she's such an emotive face and she she's so able to make you connect with her and there were so many moments where mm. she would come on screen and you were just you just like knew that this person was going through that situation you know what some people go through it with chronic pain other people go through it with the confrontation of of you know, a terminal illness or something like you can see all of that painted on her face. And then I felt like they just never, they, they it felt very superficial, I think, through many of those moments, which you have mm -hmm. to because of pacing and the way the story is. But in the ideal world for me, we would have been able to really see a bit more of her journey and see how that could have been an anchor point to Dean's own situation. In, in a bit more of, I think, an intimate and honest way between the two of them, rather than just kind of like the, the writing of the show. And I would have and I would have given up, I think, those those moments where they were just kind of like really hitting it on the head with the mother being like, but, you know, you need to live and we've been here every week and like kind of like those those look a little bit more over blown and dramatic moments, I think could have been a way if Julie Benz herself had just been alone, I think it would have been perfect. I totally get that. I will be very honest. That was, I'm really happy I went with the choice I made because my backup was more time with Layla, but I don't think I could have verbalized, vocalized it as well as you had just now. Mm -hmm. But I mm -hmm. think you're right. I would have loved to have seen more of almost like we've seen them do in the past where you slowly bring an outsider into the supernatural world, slowly getting her to understand that, hey, maybe him healing you has a price what price would be too much and having her almost come to the conclusion of, you know what? I don't want to be saved mm. if it means hurting someone else. Yeah. I know that isn't necessarily the goal of the episode. And I think the fact that they don't helps the faith point of it, but I think questioning faith and making her make the decision to believe in herself instead of someone else or something beyond her, I think would have gone just as far. There could have been that, those, that conversation between her and Dean at the end, they could have had more of that in the episode. And I think that this would have been a much richer episode mm -hmm. because it, it it's about Dean. It's about many things, but one of them is about Dean struggling with that concept. Right. And I think that she was just such a great mm -hmm. counterpoint to that. And like, like, you know, like you said, 
that was the goal of the episode. She's kind of like a supporting character and it's all about Dean and, and Sam and the journey. And this is where sometimes Supernatural gets frustrating to me is that everybody from the outside mm. is never really fully given their chance to breathe and have that full impact on the two main characters because it's about the brothers. Mm. It's only about the brothers. Mm -hmm. So anything kind of like superfluous to that brother's journeys is like pushed to the side. And maybe it's just because I have like such a crush on, on Julie Benz um, from her <laughs> days as Darla. But I just think that she, mm. she is so capable of bringing a performance and she was sort of underutilized and very powerful in the moments she yeah. was there. But ultimately I feel underutilized. No, I agree. I feel like there was, I feel like she was, you know what? There's, it says something about a character when they're able to give you so little, but you feel so invested in them. Mm -hmm. And it comes from their ability to inhabit a role. And that's clearly something that happened in this episode with her. Yeah. Like, I really felt like I wanted more of her, even though I was given so little. And it wasn't because I saw something amazing that I was missing out on. It's that I felt she could give more. I totally agree, Rochelle. Honestly, when you started with your Crossroads deal, I was like... Yeah, I, I mean, I get it and I agree. I think, uh, like, originally, I think that the goal or the intent of bringing in the mother was to sort of create a parallel mm -hmm. with Sam. You know, Sam as the, the one pushing Dean to get this done and the mom sort of pushing Layla to do the same. But then I started thinking about it and I'm like, yes, but at the same time, if you had removed that entirely, you could have had like a, a much nicer, like overarching storyline of Layla accepting her death and Dean accepting his yeah. livinghood. The fact that he's still alive because those were the two journeys, right? At the beginning, Dean, Dean quote unquote is okay with dying and Layla very much wants to live. Whereas at the end, she has accepted her death or at least, you know, she seems to be hinting that she is. And it then becomes up to Dean to accept his state as a living mm -hmm. person, to accept his life. And I'm not entirely sure that Dean ever gets there. Oh, Dean. I would have to agree. And I think that, you know, this, this is one of, as, as you said, Mary, it's also one of my favorite episodes. And there's just, it's just so beautiful to, to watch and the story is really great and it and it mm. speaks to so much more of what's to come but also of who Dean is and who Sam is mm -hmm. and how they're positioning yeah. them but you know at the end of the day I think that the show could sometimes use a little bit more of of its it, it could stand to focus on those more like rich elevated emotional moments between characters that are not mm -hmm. just the brothers mm -hmm. and I think this is one of those where when you look yeah. back and you rewatch it after having watched it many times and you're thinking of it with a critical eye you're like oh yeah I could see how this could have gone from that to like like a stellar level like it could have just like gone maybe into a, another yeah. realm you know but it's a CW mm -hmm. and it's supernatural and it's only got 45 minutes to bring us on this journey so <laughs> yeah. And on that note. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Schulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. This week, we'd like to thank Rochelle for joining us. Thanks, Rochelle. 
You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com or mention us on Twitter or Instagram using at carryingwayward. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for weekly content, including special episodes. They're really, really worth it. Leave us a review on whatever platform you choose. It really actually helps us out. Until next week. Carry on our wayward friends.